Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, I hope everybody's doing well today. And I'm unimpressed that I didn't meet this lady when I first came to Charleston and was looking for a energy worker. You are a shamanic energy healer, Tina Clark. And when I looked at this list, uh, there was about 15 people in Charleston, South Carolina, and you were the least advertised. And for some reason I called you and that was the only call I made. So welcome to the Unimpressed Podcast. And uh, we've been talking a little bit and has some things in common and recently did a class with you. Took Reiki Level 1 yesterday. Yes, I did a Reiki Level 1 class with Tina Clark here in Charleston, South Carolina. And I don't know, it was something I didn't really know I had. It just kind of showed up and you said I did okay. So tell me a little bit about Tina Clark and you're originally from New York. Yep, I'm originally from New York City, grew up in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I lived in New York City till 98 and then I moved to the D.C. area for work. I was in the D.C. area for 18 years and had a family, became a stay-at-home mom, but always had that question, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to be doing something big. What is big in your terms? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Means planet-wide means humanitarian level. I always knew I was supposed to be doing something, but I wasn't sure what it was. And then in 2014, I took a tarot class with my Reiki teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was really good at it. And I loved it. And she taught Reiki. So I took all her Reiki classes and she taught shamanism. And I took all her shamanism classes uh, then I started teaching when I became a Reiki teacher. Shamanism. Tell me what, how do you define shamanism? Shamanism is an ancient healing practice that's thousands and thousands of years old. The indigenous peoples of the planet are very familiar with shamanism. They usually had a medicine woman or a medicine man in the tribe that was their healer. 
And some some shamans are more herbal healers. Some are more spiritual healers. Mm-hmm. And when they had a problem, a physical problem, a spiritual problem, they would go to their healer in their community to get healed. Mm-hmm. And so shamanism is an ancient practice of looking at someone holistically, not just as a body, but as a spirit in a body. Shamans can travel to the spirit world to get answers mm-hmm. for the people who are seeking them. So a lot of people, when you say shamanic, right, people don't, people don't know what that means. You know, shamanic, shaman. So I think if you define that in modern day, it's kind of like, you know, a doctor that we have in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. But they practice a little different. But these were doctors for tribes and indigenous people back in the day. And you got to look at the indigenous culture. They were very connected to nature and to the planet. Mm-hmm. And so everything was connected. Nothing was other to them. Even they viewed animals as being part of the family. They were very connected and they understood that we're living on a planet that is a living, breathing soul. And Mm -hmm. that if we're having issues, that that's something that we have to connect in the spirit world to find out what that is. So when you westernize that thought process, to some extent, you kind of forget about the world in a way, right? It kind of is a one-way approach, I would say, and kind of forgetting about what's what's grounding you as a person and where you came from and what you're made of. Right. So to me, the physical world is just temporary. Mm -hmm. It's the spirit world that's always infinite, always existing. Mm -hmm. So this is just a temporary experience in a human body on earth. So the spirit world is where the knowledge is, the wisdom is, the knowing is. Mm -hmm. And you you can get the answers to what's going on with you in a physical body, in the spirit world, the invisible world. So you were in D.C. and you were taking these classes. And what resonated with you? Um taking these shaman classes to do a shamanic journey which is to travel to the spirit world it's fun it's like having a dream but you're awake Mm -hmm. and you're seeing and feeling and and interacting with beings people or animals and you know it's fun it's one of the funnest things that i do and is this something that you were able to do easily or how did you You know, if you're taking this class, how did you tap into that? I mean, how did you realize you could do this type of journey? Because I have all the the psychic abilities. So, you know, I can see, feel, hear the spirit world through meditation. I knew I could do this. I would take uh, meditation classes and groups with people. And we would come out of it and talk about what we saw. And I was always the one that saw the most. Mm-hmm. And everybody would turn to me and ask me how I did it. And I said, I don't know. I just did it. Mm-hmm. So it's something that came to me naturally. And then you said you're, you're taking Reiki. And I'm saying, am I finally saying it right? I am a practitioner now, a Reiki one practitioner now. Right. How do you define Reiki? So Reiki means universal life force of love. And it's something that we're all connected to. And the source of that is creator. We're channeling that energy into our bodies and as practitioners, and we're sending it out to the person we're working on or ourselves or anything. And so it's that energy that animates us and makes us alive. It makes you alive. And what What resonated with you taking those classes? 
Well, the interesting thing is I heard about Reiki before, but I wasn't that interested in taking it. Okay. And I had a really good friend that was a Reiki master, and she told me all about it, and she practiced on me. And I was like, okay, this is okay. But it's something about meeting my teacher, mm-hmm. and I just loved uh, how she taught. She really resonated with me, so I just wanted to learn everything that she could teach me. That's a little me- misdiagnosed, too. It's, it's a lot about self. I mean, even though you're going to help other people, you know, it's a lot about self, right? Right. Like, I'm always working on myself and healing myself and trying to understand myself better. If you want to study Reiki, right? I'm saying, am I saying it properly? Reiki. Cause I've, yeah. Reiki, because I've said it several <laughs> different ways. So if you want to understand what Reiki is and don't think it's some kind of weird deal, it might be, you know, whether you help somebody or not, it may be good for you. As a person and good for your energy and so forth, right? Yeah. So when you learned this yesterday, when you're when you're a Reiki practitioner, you get Reiki first. You get the heal the energy first, and it goes through you into the person you're working on. Mm-hmm. So it's healing you at the same time as it's healing whatever you're focusing on. It's based on what four symbols? Yeah. So there's four main Reiki healing symbols. Mm-hmm. And as level one, you just hear about them, but level two, you really dive deep into what they are, what they mean, and where they come from, and how to use them. Mm -hmm. Now, how does that, what are the four symbols? So it's Shaokurei, Seiheiki, Hansha Zeishonen, and then the Reiki master symbol. So you have to get the first three to get the last one. Right. How have you used those in your career? I've used them in different ways of, you know... um, Shaokurei is a power symbol, so if I want to enhance the power of anything, I will use that. It's a protective symbol, so I've used it to protect of space. You can write it on the walls, or I write on write it on people if I want to protect them. Mm-hmm. I'll write the symbol on in their energy field. Um, Seiheiki is the mental-emotional healing symbol. So that's good for someone who's dealing with a lot of mental or emotional challenges, addictions, that sort of thing. Um, Hansha Zeishonin allows you and helps you to send Reiki at a distance to anybody in the world. Mm-hmm. And also into the past and into the future. And then the master symbol is just... You know, the master symbol. It's something that you earn and use use after being very proficient at doing Reiki and sending Reiki at a distance. Now, high-level Reiki healers, what's the highest-level Reiki healer you know besides yourself? Well, there's level one, two, three, and then there's Reiki master teacher. So that's Reiki master teacher is the highest level, and mm-hmm. you're teaching other people how to do Reiki and giving them attunements at each level of Reiki. I mean, you you have the highest level Reiki? Yeah. You do have the highest Mm -hmm. level, right? Where is it practiced the most in the world? That's a good question. Um, It's practiced all over the world. There's a lot of Reiki practitioners, and there's nothing special about getting trained. You don't, there's no qualifications or pre-qualifications. Anybody can learn it. That's the great thing about Reiki. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it's been around since the early 1900s in the USA. It came directly from Japan as a practice. It all depends on how much practice you've had.、Mm-hmm. So, for example, there's Reiki practitioners that just use it for themselves and their families and loved ones, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine because I believe there should be a Reiki practitioner in every family. Okay. Because you need a healer in every family. But there are people that also work on others. And so I've worked on hundreds of people, different people from all walks of life. So I'm learning as I'm working on others. So the more that you work on others, the better you're going to get.、Mm-hmm. The more that you work on yourself, the better you're going to get. If you want a really good teacher or a practitioner, you want to know how many people have they worked on, how many people have they taught. So, you said something yesterday that you kind of modified your narrative a little bit, right? About how the energy flows from top of your head down. Because I thought about that. What did you see yesterday to kind of say, I'm adjusting my narrative a little bit in this process? Like with anything new, it's awkward. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. if you've never kind of touched for healing or focused or visualized things like that, I know it's very new to some people and they feel、um, self conscious.、Yeah. But when I watched you do it, you're very intuitive. So you just didn't care about that. You know, you were moving your hands and moving in places around the person you were practicing on without me having. To really instruct you to do so. And that's what I love about Reiki is there's an instruction manual and there's hand placements, but you basically do what you feel is right in the moment.、Mm-hmm. So it's very intuitive. Because I like, I put my hand, I don't know if you noticed yesterday when I put my hand on, it was, I guess it would be the right side of her face. My finger started shaking and I, you know, and eventually it went away. You know, whatever was there, like I could feel. And then I could feel different parts where there would be these tingle, like these hot spots. I thought it was very interesting. You know? So, your body is like a pendulum. So, you know, we wear these crystals around our necks. We can use them as pendulums, but our body also responds to energy.、Mm-hmm. So, your body tingles, your hand tingles when there's an area that needs healing. That's、mm-hmm. a very natural, intuitive way to heal.、Mm-hmm. If you look at any mother, she's going to be touching her baby and her children all the time. If they're hurt, she's going to touch them.、Mm-hmm. Touching is a very healing thing to do. Jesus laid his hands on people and healed them.、Mm-hmm. What do you think he was doing? He didn't call it Reiki. Yeah. I don't know what they called it back then. Yeah. You know, but he was doing basically the same thing, but he was a master at it. You know, and you talk about formalizing this. They formalized this in Japan. And what did, how did they formalize something like this if it was something that had been done through the years? Well, it was founded or, or created by Makao Yusui, who was a Buddhist monk, and he was looking for a way to heal with his hands.、Mm-hmm. And he had explored different、uh, modalities and he was very educated. He, Meditated on it. This is why I think meditation is so important.、Mm-hmm. We talked about this yesterday about the answers are in the silence. If you have questions, the answers are in the silence when you clear your mind.、Mm-hmm. So he meditated on it and he saw these Reiki symbols. And when he 
drew these Reiki symbols and used it in conjunction with hands-on healing, he was seeing faster, better results. So he started teaching other people how to do it as well. He kind of homed it in with these symbols, and that's what he used to create some focus. Right. So you could probably create your own focus, you know, in other ways, but knowing what these symbols mean, that gives you a direction of focus. Does that make sense? And symbols are really important, I think. And, you know, we talk about sacred geometry and that there are sacred symbols. And symbols contain a lot of information, Mm -hmm. information that can't even be vocalized, Mm -hmm. you know, in just a symbol. And if it's used over and over again with the intention of healing, those symbols become stronger. And those symbols are ancient. They didn't just come from... Japan, they came from Sanskrit and and Tibetan. They're kind of a mix mm-hmm. of those cultures. You're in D.C. You just did the shaman training. You did the Reiki training. Now, when did this start resonating with you to make it a business for yourself? Well, like I said, I was always looking for something that I was supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. So... When I took Reiki the first time, I knew I was going to do all the levels. Like some people just know when they take the first class, I'm going to finish it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go all the as far as I can with it. And as soon as I took tarot, I started doing tarot readings for mm-hmm. people. I'm kind of an entrepreneur and I have to be my own boss, I realized. And mm-hmm. I'm most happiest if I can run my own business and help people at the same time. Because mm-hmm. I'm a person that's about service, about helping. Mm-hmm. And when you when you say tarot, people get a little shaky too. But I think it's about knowledge, right? And you said something. You kind of broke it down yesterday too about there's levels of energy, right? And as a shamanic practitioner, I'm careful when I'm working in the spirit world because not all spirits are good and benevolent. Mm-hmm. I've just heard people say like psychics, tarot card readers are are all bad, but I think it's understanding. Well, tarot is just a tool. Yes. So, and even using a Reiki symbol is like a tool. Mm -hmm. So tarot is a divine tool that you're seeking guidance with. That's all it is. It's just Mm -hmm. cards, Mm -hmm. you know? So... If you have the highest intention when you're pulling cards for yourself or someone else, and you say, I want to have the highest vibrational um, advice that I can receive, mm-hmm. you know, you put your intention out there and that's what you're going to get. Intentions. That's, that's a big thing, right? Intentions going into this thing is mindset and how you want to use it. And I'm sure there's people that are using it for bad things because there's fear there and that's what they gravitate towards, right? Right. Or power. Yeah. And I think that's the only way they can get power. It's really a weak source, right? Based mm-hmm. on my understanding. Well, we're already powerful beings. That's, yeah. And most of us are running around on the planet thinking we have no power. Yes. So we need to empower ourselves. And the more you learn, the more you practice, you know, tarot or Reiki, you realize you can do a lot and you can help and assist a lot Mm -hmm. doing that. But intention is really important in anything. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, just business-wise, when I have a client come in, I always ask them, what do you want to accomplish today? List out 10 different problems, or we can't address all of that in one hour. Mm -hmm. So I always have them tell me, because there's something, we know our words are powerful, and we if we state our intention, the universe hears it. So sometimes, even when I'm working on someone, I have them talk out loud. Either they're telling me something they need to release... Or I'm helping them state, make a statement so they can release something. You left New York, went to D.C. And, and when you're in D.C., what, what did you do for the government then in D.C.? I worked for a government agency um, for four years. And then I worked for a research institute for two years and then a county school system for a year. Now, did you meet your husband in D.C. or New York? I met him in Atlanta. Atlanta. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Now, was that after D.C.? or before? That was while I was working for that government agency. Okay. I was actually in Atlanta for a week for work. Two kids later, now you're in Charleston, South Carolina. Now, what, what brought you to Charleston? What, what have you found that's important about this area? Well, I've always wanted to live in the South since my early 20s. Mm-hmm. So I talk about being pulled toward places like i or attracted to certain places. And as a New Yorker, that doesn't make any sense. You know, yeah, like New yeah. Yorkers, they never want to leave New York. Yeah. But I wanted to go to graduate school in Georgia. I applied to graduate school. I didn't go, but I always wanted to move down here. And I was ready to leave Northern Virginia. So mm-hmm. I wanted no snow. We checked out Charleston. We really liked it. Interesting. And did you know all the 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 spirituality and energy that was in Charleston before you got here? The interesting thing is um, I had to convince my husband to move down here. So it took a while. And then like most, sometimes when you give up on something and let it go, Mm -hmm. that's when it happened. Did you know that there was this much energy here in Charleston? So while I was trying to move down here, I did um, a manifestation board. So, you know, well, you cut out pictures, magazines, and you paste them on a board. And so I had this little section called Charleston with Charleston in it. And, well, you know, it came true. I moved down here. But I was when I was looking online about the area, what really pulled me here was Angel Oak. So that massive tree on John's Island. And I kept looking at pictures of it and I, and I just kept thinking about it all the time. Yeah. And I was like, well, the minute I get down there, I'm going to that tree. Yeah. So I've been visited the tree like 10 times in the past six years, but that, that pulled me toward Mm -hmm. Charleston and just basically Charleston, the land welcomes me and the people accept me. One of the few places where I feel like I belong. Well, I mean, if if and if you're out there listening, if people don't know, um, Charleston's called the Holy City. Tina's talking about this tree in John's Island called the Angel Oak, which they say is four to five hundred years. They advertise it's four to five hundred years old, but some people said it's you know fifteen hundred years old, right? I would say it's about eight hundred years old. Eight hundred years mm-hmm. old, and they're saying that's the lifespan of that tree. Really? Yeah, that tree is going to grow much older. Really? So yeah. trees only the lifespan of a an oak is eight hundred years. That's what they say, yeah. And this one is just continues to grow. Yeah. Right? So there's some energy around that tree, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
That tree has been taken care of. You can tell. So if you go there, it's kind of in the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. And it's surrounded by all these very much younger trees. Yeah. And then you get this one massive tree. <laughs> so obviously the native peoples were taking care of this tree hundreds of years ago. And somehow it didn't get cut down, you know, and it's been protected, uh-huh. which it should be. That was something interesting here about in Mount Pleasant. It's called the City of Trees. Did you know that? Realize that? I I love the trees here. There, I can tell you all my favorite trees in the Charleston area. Really? Yeah. Well, there's one. There's actually one right out here, outside the house. It must be pretty old. Um, it's pretty big out there. They made a made a big circle around it and whatever. Because if, if a tree gets more than twenty five inches in Mount Pleasant, it's done. You can't cut it down. Yes. And the, mm-hmm. and the city will not let you cut it down. Because I went through this. I had a tree. It was almost touching my deck. Unfortunately, I had to cut down. And one in the back that was very close to the house as well that we cut down. And, you know, we didn't want, we didn't want to do it, but it could have caused some damage or, you know, later in life with the foundation and, and so forth. So I went through that process. And they're very serious about their trees around here. Good. I know that in North Charleston, if a tree was of a certain width, you needed to apply for a permit to cut it down. Yes. So I, you can't just cut down any tree here, especially an old one. But the angel oak, is a very that's a very interesting thing. And do you feel any different when you're around this angel oak and you're saying this has light in it, you would say? Yeah, I feel like it's the light of the East Coast. It's holding all the light energy and spreading it out. And do you feel like there's there's some type of energy from crystals in this area? Yeah, I have been told that we have a crystal foundation under Charleston. Okay. Actually, one of the, the local women that I'm friends with said that, and I had never heard of that. I was yeah. Like, well, okay. Well, and you know, you and I love crystals. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that's what attracted yeah, mo- us to yeah, this area too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always knew I was going to live here. I've been all everywhere and I always knew I would come back here and live here for some reason. There was just something about Charleston that was, you know, there's a little bit of L.A., a little bit of New York, a little bit of Miami, you know, and it's to me, it's like Mayberry. You know, I can drive five miles, be downtown, drive five miles, be to the beach. You know, so it's a very unique place if if you're out there listening and haven't been to Charleston. Yeah. And it has a lot of history. Yes. But the, what I feel like people here, as the people who grew up here, they've learned from that history, that they evolved mm-hmm. from that history. And I think sometimes Northerners think that Southerners are backwards, and that's not the case at mm-hmm. all. In Charleston, people just want to move on. Yeah. They don't care what you look like, what race you are. They just want to be good to each other. That's yeah. the overall feeling. I'm not saying that everybody is like that. Right? Yeah. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say that's true. Everybody's pretty, I mean, they don't judge. Everybody's cool. Everybody's relaxed, yeah. having a good time. I mean, this is where it all started. You know, I mean, what, top three, what, third oldest city in the United States? Or third documented oldest city in the United States. Uh, so it's what, St. Augustine, Savannah, and then Charleston, right? hmm And if you think about, this is where major industry started, if you think about the energy that was here during that time, there's probably a reason behind that. You know, there's a lot of energy here. So maybe things are reinventing itself, you know, and I talk about stereotypes all the time because I think I think everybody, if you're a human being, 
right? And I was able to experience this. I was born in the South, but traveled to the Northeast my whole life, pretty much from five on or even earlier that I can remember. Um, Everybody has the same sensitivities. And I think stereotypes are created based on your environment. My analogy is if you're put in a bowl with 100 people compared to being put in a bowl with five people, right? With the or same eight million, uh, yeah, or eight million <laughs> in, in people in New York City. In New York City, yes. Even though the sensitivities are the same, the outcomes are going to be a little different. So I think sometimes people got to overlook those stereotypes and just understand on how things are environmentally driven and how that you know chisels out part of who you are as a person in life, right? Right. And a lot of people don't acknowledge that. Yeah. So it's that holistic view, like where you you live somewhere for a reason and that location affects you mm-hmm. energetically mm-hmm. you know whether it could be whatever happened on that land or maybe you had other lives in that city in charleston you had a wonderful life and you're you come back and you're like oh, this feels great here mm-hmm. you know it's like having good memories subconscious mm-hmm. memories of your experience and you said something to me about living here, too. You said time flies. It seems like time flies fast. I mean, we've been here already two years almost in October, and it just it went by like just quick. Yep. Why do you think that is? I think the, the planet is changing, and I think that time is becoming something that's not that important, um, and that's why it feels like it's speeding up. Mm-hmm. But what really matters is the present. I don't know. It's weird, though, because you remember as a kid mm-hmm. how slow time was? And I thought it was having kids. I thought, oh, I had kids of time speeding up. But everybody's talking about it. Yeah. Not only people with children. So something's happening. Yeah. Something's changing. I think it's a perpetuation of multiple thought processes. And I'll explain to you why. Perpetuation of multiple thought processes. Let's start feeding society more and more information so it speeds up your thought process. So the more and more your thought process is is increased, the time that you're living seems faster because it's thought to thought to thought to thought. So if you're if you're thinking 20 thoughts compared to 10 thoughts, if you're a 10 thought person, time is probably going to go a little slower, but if you're a 20 thought person, time is going to go a little bit faster. And I think there's a lot more information in the world, which has kind of created this scenario to but some it extent. it also has to do with, you know, are you enjoying what you're doing? Yes. So if you're in school and you're bored, yes, that time is going to be so slow, yes. right? Yes. Then if you're working on something, you know, that you really enjoy and you love, I mean, time is just going by so fast. Yes. So, you know, time is can change the experience of time. And in fact, a good example of that is I, I shamanic journey. I take about 15 minutes, which makes, which is relatively quick, but mm-hmm. I've gone to all these locations and talked to all of these people and found out all this information in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So our idea of time on in the physical is different than when you're meditating or mm-hmm. when you're journeying, time doesn't really apply. And I hope, People can understand this. I mean, I think that's two two positions to try to understand. And this is just something I'm coming up with off the cuff. Multiple thought processes and then enjoying those thought processes is kind of an evaluation of how fast time goes in your life. And if you clear your thoughts, Mm -hmm. time slows down. Yes. 
I'm not saying my thought process is the be all end all. You got to add the other piece to it, which is a percentage. Um, it's in the mix, right? Clearing your mind, time slows down. Enjoying what you do, time speeds up. So maybe you don't enjoy what you do, but you have 800 thoughts and time's still going fast. So where do you find that balance? That's, that's, I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. I guess there's a balance to understand and find there uh, to some extent, right, for people to look at and dissect that. Right. So they talk about when you're enjoying something, whether it's work or you're an artist and you're when you're painting, I found when you do art, it's like a meditation and it kind of clears your mind and time goes by really fast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just finding those things that, well, time doesn't really matter mm-hmm. for you. That mm-hmm. I could work on this all day and still feel charged and happy and energetic about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about Reiki is when I see people, mm-hmm. to me, that keeps me doing it. It keeps me teaching people because I can see such a major difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read energy, but I could see physically if someone comes in when they're stressed and unhappy. And sometimes they start crying right away. And then by the end, they're telling me, I feel relaxed. I feel peaceful. My pain went away or is lessened. I mean, what's better than that? Mm-hmm. Improving people's lives. Mm-hmm. Nothing in my book. So, what do you? What do your kids? You have what? Two girls. Mm-hmm. What do your two girls think about what mom does? Well, I brought them up that way, so they're used to used to mom. But my older daughter's a teenager, and she's taken Reiki too mm-hmm. um, because she asked to learn and. They know what it is, and you know, teenagers, they they don't want to appear abnormal, so they put it to the side, but Mm -hmm. maybe she'll pick it up later. But they see things and feel things, and I always validate that. I never dismiss it. Mm -hmm. I always investigate it and try to figure out what it is. Sometimes they see and feel things I don't. Well, it's like Mariana has always said she's seen stuff. Mm -hmm. My daughter says she sees stuff. And she said there was people watching her around the bed, her around her bed. And I asked, I said, "Are these good spirits?" And they said, "Yes." I said, "Are they protecting her?" And they said, "Yes." So I asked them to not hover around their bed. Yes, please. <laughs> I hate that. That's my pet peeve. Do not watch me while I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't. I think they they chilled out on that because she says she hasn't experienced that. But like you say, how long I've been into this, like. As a child, I knew when I was sleeping, I wasn't alone, and I was being watched. Mm -hmm. I could feel it, and Mm -hmm. it made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's why I didn't like to sleep in the dark. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, you know, it's uncomfortable to be watched and not see what's watching you. Well, that's, that's Mariana. She sleeps with her lights on. I did too. I had an angel light at nine years old, you know, because I would see things. I saw things and I felt things at night. Nobody shows themselves to me. Um, But it's funny what your friend saw with the bird and someone peeking through. For some reason, I was like, is that a different portal that we shouldn't be telling everybody about or something? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think spirit shows us things and we have to figure out what it means. Sometimes they like to send us pictures. So she saw a bird that was a peacock. Everything means something. So I pulled out my Animal Speaks book, looked at what peacock meant. And then she says she saw a bridge, a Mm -hmm. bridge with white around it. 
And I was wondering if the the Purple Heart thing was something for was for me actually. I don't know. Well, yeah, because you were working on her, mm-hmm. so it, and I was in the room, so it might be for all of us, mm-hmm. and all of us to figure out what that means for us. Well, what is the Purple Heart thing has signified? Well, purple. Remember, in the manual, we talked about the colors mm-hmm. right, that sometimes people see. And it means mysticism, it means psychic, it means energies, mm-hmm. intuitive energy. So, And heart is just a symbol of love. And before that, she said she saw a big bird flying over. Yeah. With, with something peeking behind the clouds or something. That was interesting as well. I thought about that last night. With your journey and your path right now, what are you trying to do the next five years on this path? I always say I'm in five years, I'm doing something better than I can ever imagine. But I also know that I really want to reach a lot more people. I want them to know there are options if they're unhappy or stressed or experiencing chronic pain, that energy healing is there, that it's an option, and to go out and try it. Because, you know, my own husband was a skeptic. He's like, I don't know what you're doing. And I would tell him story after story after story of each client. A couple years later, I said, well, do you believe me now? And he said, yeah, I believe you. How can I not believe you? I've heard your stories. Mm -hmm. It's helping people. And you don't really need people's belief. I don't need people to believe in what I'm doing because I see that it's working. And the people who come to me feel better. Mm -hmm. And they've improved their lives. So that's all that matters. How many uh, clients do you have in Charleston? Hundreds. They just show up? They just call you? Yeah, like you. You just called me. <laughs> yeah, I just called you. So who are you? I did so, listen to one of your podcasts. So if you're out there listening, you should check out. My uh, Weirdest Experience is my podcast. Weirdest Experience with yeah. Tina Clark. I didn't see much advertisement. So how have you ran into these people that you've helped helped or worked on? For a long time, it was word of mouth. Yeah. So especially in Virginia, people would come to me. They would tell their friends and family. They would come to me. But in Charleston, people find my website, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll, they'll read my Google reviews and they'll go, wow, I was impressed with the reviews and I decided to try a session with you. Have you met any other people in Charleston that do what you do? Oh, yeah, a lot. How many have you met? Well, there's Reiki masters and Reiki practitioners. And plus, remember, I've been teaching people for years. Mm -hmm. So I've taught a lot of Reiki practitioners, too. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of people, but if I know that you're a Reiki practitioner, we're already resonating. Because we already have been trained. We already know you know, what energy is like. So I tend to get along with those people right away. Or what do you like to do? Is a normal life. I mean, how does this affect your normal life? I mean, is there things that just show up that, you know, out of the blue? And like, if you are trying to explain this to someone else and you're living a normal life, uh, what is your thought process? Life is magical. Yeah. I live in a magical world and I'm paying attention to what's coming my way, what people are saying, what's catching my attention. It's like the universe is um, interacting with me and I am interacting with it and that information's coming in. What do I like to do? I love to travel. I love to visit ancient sites. 
I love to visit sacred sites. You know, Angel Oak would be a sacred site, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I love to read. So I read over 100 books last year. Um, I read everything. You know, I read about healing trauma, spirituality. I read a lot of books about Bigfoot, um, just because I find them entertaining. I listen to quite a few podcasts now that I'm a podcaster. Mm-hmm. And what is the significance of uh, Bigfoot in your world? Yes. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it is? Can we define that in like a small sentence? Let's say that they're like a tribe of people that have been living among us and most of us had no clue. Because there's a lot of folklore. A lot of Bigfoot's been seen. Yeah, I know. You know, and a lot up near where I, I'm from was born up in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And uh, I, we have this group called Outlaw Paranormal that we work with. Their big thing is Bigfoot, you know, hunting Bigfoot. Yeah, I'd be careful with that. Really? <laughs> is it not a good thing? Mm, hunting them, you know. Well, not hunting, but just you know, like go, investigating you know, investigating them. them. Well, they're like humans. Not all of them are nice and friendly. So, and when you're dealing with a being that's like, you know, 10 feet tall, who's going to win in that scenario in the woods? Yeah. So you go in the woods, that's their territory. Gotcha. You're not the apex predator anymore. So has there been footage of Bigfoot? Yeah. The the Patterson-Gimlin film from 1967. Have you seen that one? Uh Uh-uh. They haven't been able to disprove that that's a fake. Really? Plus, how can you fake that in 1967? You is, didn't have the suits. You didn't have... And it's called the Patterson... Gimlin film. Yep. Patterson Gimlin film mm-hmm. has original footage of Bigfoot. And it's not just one. It's a whole tribe of people. Yeah. Clans. Clans. All over the world. And how do they stay out of the picture? Well, that's the thing is they're, they've got abilities. They can camouflage themselves. Really well. And the the energy, is it a positive thing that they're here? Is it a negative thing that they're here? I don't think it's either. They're here. They're just here. They were here before we were here. Yeah. Yeah. So we're just including on their territory. Is there any other types of interesting things like that out there? Oh, yeah. There's the whole cryptid world. There's like mm-hmm. Dogman and <laughs> all this other stuff. So... Really? Yeah. You said something to me about interesting energy in Asheville, North Carolina. Why is that? Well, it's the mountains. It's the Smoky Mountains. And you know, the Cherokees are up there, Cherokee Indians. And you were saying yesterday that Cherokees might have been some of the original. One of the tribes of Israel because their language is close to Hebrew. Really? That's that's interesting information. You should investigate that because you have yeah. Cherokee heritage, yeah. right? So, Cherokee Indians... Supposable descendants from Israel because they their language is similar to Hebrew. What have you read about that, or what I have you seen? Read a whole lot about that, but I'm just interested. You were talking about interests. I'm interested in ancient civilization, mm-hmm. and I don't think we're going to get our true history from history books. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at the evidence, and yeah. that's evidence, yeah. right? If yeah. the language is similar to Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Then we need to trace the roots of where that came from. Maybe that's why I had some of the rationalizations I've had related to Israel. Maybe that's where that comes from. Cherokees. Now, where did they 
are known first to be in the United States? I think mostly North Carolina, like Western. Is it all Western North Carolina? Yeah, because yeah, that's where Harris is and the big reservation is up there mm-hmm. and so forth. We've actually done a few sh- shows there at Harris. Yeah, there and I've stayed out there too, like near Bryson City. And I've been to Cherokee like 20 years ago. I was born in Candler, North Carolina, you know, and lived there and then lived, you know, went back and forth from there to New Jersey my whole life. So that's an interesting take on things in a way. Yeah. So there's a reason there's definitely a reason we are born in a certain place Mm -hmm. and where everywhere you've lived, there's a reason why you've lived there. You know, how do you think these tribes got to this area of the world? Because land was different. They were able to walk and travel. Well, I think that the, you know, we we have this very erroneous belief that North America was not visited by any peoples, and that's completely wrong. I mean, we know Vikings came, and there's evidence that the Vikings came up the Missouri River, and they went all over. The Aztecs came up here from Mexico. So I think there were people here the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's that manifest destiny. The Europeans came and just wanted, did the land grab. Yeah, and picking and choosing what narrative you want to put out there. Right. You know, if you pick and choose your narrative, that writes history. It may not be the right history because, you know, you talk about what you do and you talk about Reiki, right? I always say that you can find the answer to anything in the foundation, but people don't operate or want to dig deep enough to look into the foundation. And I think to some extent, that resonates with how people live. I think more people should look in within themselves, right? To find themselves, build, you know, create value for yourself. You know, creating value for yourself is a big deal. I don't think people think of themselves as building value uh, for themselves. They try to build value in other people. So it's a very similar well, scenario. The good news is that people are becoming more curious and more open-minded about everything in general. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, you're almost being forced to, because I have people coming to me that say, I'm feeling things and my anxiety's through the roof and I don't know how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. I wasn't like this before. Mm-hmm. And we're all changing, like collectively. Everybody's becoming more empathic and more sensitive and they want to know how to deal with that. What are the tools to deal with that? Mm-hmm. And I teach that in my classes, and I teach that to my clients. And what do you think about anxiety? Do you think anxiety is created from overloading information, or is it a physical makeup? little I, of both? I think it's that. And anxiety is really worrying about the future. Mm-hmm. If you're always thinking or, or trying to control what's going to happen and failing, because obviously we can't control, right? Yeah. You just need to let that go. Yeah. You can only manage. You can only manage things and you can only, you know, put your energy towards something you want to happen and it may not always happen. Mm-hmm. And you got to let that go too. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of it is an empath that's a very sensitive person that's just like a sponge and soaking up all this information and crap from people. And I have to teach them how to shield themselves and, and understand what's coming from them versus outside of them mm-hmm. because empaths are not very good at that. Mm-hmm. So it's all these things to manage 
it. So, and then some people inherit anxiety through the family line.、Mm-hmm. They learned it from their parents or grandparents or something. Something needs to be taught or learned about、lineage. manage that anxiety. Yeah, things are passed down through your lineage. That, right. That you should have. You know, if you feel like something has been passed down through your lineage. Lineage. If you feel like something has been passed down through your lineage, you should address that and try to fix that because you can stop that moving forward with your kids and whoever's next. Right. And now's a good time to find Tina Clark. Yeah, and you know, I get the best clients are the people that have tried everything and nothing else worked.、Mm-hmm. So you have that energy where they're ready for anything. I mean, they're just done. Mm-hmm. And they're ready for solutions, and that's when the miracles happen.、Mm-hmm. That's when you see like fast healing.、Mm-hmm. So I welcome those people because you know that's when really cool stuff happens. If you're looking for a shamanic energy healer, look up Tina Clark. Now, how would they find you, and how do you represent yourself?、Uh, my website is tinakinneyclark.com. And you can contact me. You can make appointments on that website. Email me. I also am a podcaster. It's my weird, weirdest experience. It's on six platforms: everything from Apple, Google, Spotify, and、um, yeah, you can email me. Contact me with any questions. And well, I appreciate you teaching me how to do Reiki, and I'm looking forward to exploring that more. And、uh, thanks for coming in today and talking to me, and you know, putting some information out in the world. And maybe we can do this, you know, once a month or whatever, and create some content and just educate people along the way about what this really is, because I don't think it's broken down enough. Yeah, and the problem is, is there isn't a good vocabulary for it.、Mm-hmm. I find vocabulary very challenging to try to describe what it is. It's more about experience. Mm-hmm. You know, so just try it for yourself. If it works, if you like it, great. If it doesn't, it's not for you. That's fine too. Cool, cool. This is Shamanic Energy Healer Tina Clark. I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.